Welcome back to Real Dudes Podcast. I'm your host, Carrington, and I'm here with a new friend of ours coming all the way from the UK. Uh, he has his own gaming studio called Torix Games. Please welcome Nicholas. Nicholas, how are you today? I'm very good, thanks. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. Um, so I understand that we, or rather you, have a game yeah. releasing soon called Cradle of Chaos, which we'll get into eventually. But uh, really quick, give us a rundown of who you are, Nicholas. How long have you been playing games? How long have you been making games? Is this your first game even? Just give us a little, tell us about Nicholas really quick. Okay. So I'm, <laughs> I'm, uh, I was born and raised in Paris. And uh, I originally studied mathematics and I started a career in finance 10 years ago now. Mm-hmm. And so it took me uh, all over the place, really. Like uh, I went to the US to finish my studies and begin my career. Then I moved to Japan for a year and I went back to the US and now I've been in London for seven years. Um, in terms of, uh, of gaming, really, like most of my, uh, of my, like, passion and interest in gaming has been around strategy. Uh, it mm-hmm. started a very long time ago with like those common and conquer games and, uh, and mm-hmm. later on going quickly to StarCraft. Mm-hmm. Well, I spent a very long time playing that game. And then after a while, um, Blizzard released a new one uh, that at, back then was a new one. It was 2002, right? Uh, that was called Warcraft 3. Okay. And so, Warcraft 3 was uh, like a really big uh, uh, time-consuming uh, hobby of mine and, uh, and a lot of my friends back then. And that was really the main game I spent uh, I spent a, lo- a lot of time on. Uh, even to this day, I still play Warcraft 3, even though there's like, you know, very few people left on it, etc. And uh, after that, you know, I, I continued in the Blizzard uh, ecosystem with uh, uh, Blizzard derived, let's say, like uh, with Dota and League of Legends, and and really mm-hmm. World of Warcraft uh, was a was a big thing. So I like this kind of environment, and more generally, fantasy is something that I've been uh, always interested in. And I, I read, uh, you know, like a bunch of fun fantasy novels when I was in high school and uni, and and uh, mm-hmm. so that's like the kind of uh, game environment I I like the most. Oh, so, wow. So for many years, uh, I've been thinking of like, you know, what could be done to sort of modernize uh, those games that, you know, mm-hmm. those real-time strategy games, they were like extremely popular when I was a kid, really. And uh, and since then, they've kind of lost, uh, you know, lost their luster with, with um, you know, some of them are like due to be released. You have Edge of Empire 4 that's going to come out later this year and you have a few others but really they're not all the rage anymore right so like um, you have some derived games that are doing extremely well league of legends is still played by more than 100 million players mm-hmm. or or you know some tower defense games uh, or even the, the series on uh, on mobile called kingdom kingdom rush is still very popular mm-hmm. but, but they are different kind of games and they are less uh, less immersive they yeah are, some of them are based, you know, on a, on a competitive uh, mindset, uh, Dota 2 and, uh, and League of Legends in particular. And they are, they are less complex in a way. You need a lot of skill and you need to be really quick and uh, you need a, a good uh, team, um, team spirit. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, you're, you're controlling, you're in charge of one character 
And uh, it's, I find it quite repetitive. So I know I like, I'm not going to make myself uh, uh, a lot of friends here, but I, essentially, I like League of Legends, I like Dota, etc. But right. I, I, the other day, you, you've played it a hundred times, you kind of know how it goes. You know, like, uh, of mm-hmm. course, that doesn't make you good in any way. Uh, you haven't seen like, any possible configuration of how a game can go or something. But, but the, uh, the amount of stuff you can discover is relatively limited, I would say, uh, compared to those major games back in the day, Warcraft 3, etc. Um, yeah, so that, that okay. gives you an idea. An yeah. You hit on a lot of things that I liked and I really want to dig deep into and ask about. Um, so first, you mentioned uh, that you, you traveled a lot for your job. Um, being part Japanese and being someone who's never lived in Japan or have yet to go, what was it like living in Japan? Just really quick, I have to ask. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, <laughs> so first, I was in Japan at the time when uh, J- Japan has changed a lot in recent years. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was there, it was in 2012 mm-hmm. and 2013. And it was, you know, like right after the Fukushima incident, yeah. like a lot of foreigners had actually left Japan because they were worried for their health, etc the incident in 2011 and so i arrived in uh you know in that kind of uh of uh, of tokyo so still like you know the biggest city in the world like super happening lots of people lots of things but less uh less uh uh more, more of uh, an of the beaten past cities and you know new york where i was living right before or london mm-hmm. right now uh and uh, and that that gave this incredible sort of like experience where mm-hmm. like Literally, when I went, I moved there. I, I didn't know anybody. So the first week, I hadn't started work. I, I, I was I was flown early uh, to come, sort of like you know find a flat and everything. And I literally like had to go to random parties and like mm-hmm. uh, like connect with like uh, people that I was re- randomly connected to to meet new people, etc. And so that whole experience of uh, of Tokyo, I associate with this. And uh, like the whole year was amazing. Uh, we traveled all across Japan. We pretty much only traveled in Japan, mm-hmm. and, uh, and and yeah, it, basically it's the only uh, developed country at that time, mm-hmm. let's say, uh, that doesn't have any European roots. Oh, I didn't realize so that. So essentially, everything works. I just <laughs> way of doing it. So yeah, that was pretty cool. Okay. Yeah, I just had to ask. My my grandmother is the one that's Japanese, and <clears throat> we always talk about like going, like taking her out there. She's like, "Oh no, no, I don't have to go. You can go though." And I'm like, "All right, I'll go someday. I'll go." But just, I just, oh, obviously not right now. But I would definitely love to go. And that's just that's really cool to to hear that that you had a great experience out there. But I just had to ask when you mentioned it. Um, but moving forward a little bit, because you said that. Uh, you love strategy games the most, and you did mention Command and Conquer because I was because watching the like the videos you have about uh, Cradle of Chaos, I'm like the, the, I do like I just feel some Command and Conquer like influence. I, that's the game I I personally grew up with. I think I was like five or six when the first one came out. Um, wow. Yeah. So um, when it comes to, to strategy games, what what draws you t- to them? Um, the most like you seem to have like a really passion for for strategy games yeah uh, uh, i think there's a few things to it mm-hmm. uh in the 
in the later ones, uh, in particular Warcraft 3 and now Dota 2 and some others, uh, you have this uh, capability that was baked in by Blizzard initially called the World Editor. Mm -hmm. Uh, that was given to the community, really, like uh, amateur developers and some serious ones as well, etc., to to make their own world and tweak the rules of the initial game, use some of the art of the game, and make their own uh, their own maps and their own uh, concepts. So that's mm -hmm. that's where the, the initial tower defense games came from. They were invented mm -hmm. in, that, uh, in that setup, and that that just unleashed uh, an incredible amount of creativity. Uh, with a lot of people like uh, coming up with like some weird roles, like uh, at the beginning when uh, when Def Defense of the Ancient uh, Dota came out, you know that was like super weird and like people didn't know what to make of it. The first versions of the map were really kind of clumsy, and you could see that there was a real concept there, and, uh, and that was made possible because that that environment of strategy games, really you can pretty much. Make make everything out of it. It's so general. It's so rich mm -hmm. that you can like tailor it to whatever you like. So if you like like you know grand uh, like really big um, battles with like a lot of complexity where you both have to manage the base and uh, and micro your units and like uh, pay attention to what kind of upgrades to make. Mm -hmm. Because your enemy is going to improve their their defense, and you you need, you need to react to this. You can do that, but at the same time, you can choose to to be like really really focused on micro, mm -hmm. and uh, ignore kind of uh, the the strategic aspect a little bit. And uh, basically, these are the most generic kind of games, the ones where you can uh, most freely do some stuff. Uh, you know, if it's an adventure game, it, it can be a great a great adventure game. It can be super immersive, etc. But at the end of the day, you're controlling one guy or one girl, really? and mm -hmm. and they, they can run around and they can see like incredible things in the world, but they're like linked to the ground. They are like walking around. They have like some ammunition or like some uh, some uh, magical powers if you're in a fantasy setting. But that's about it. So you're quite limited compared to what you can do, I think, yeah, in a strategy mm -hmm. game. Yeah, yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. I mean, I, I think there's just something also about using i don't know how to put this except just using your mind more so than your reflexes like in a first person shooter like i feel like there's something to it like you, you're you have so much going on when it comes to a strategy game you have all the units you have to it's almost like a a, a more like quicker paced or faster version of almost like a chess match which is i think is just something that's you can't really like you I don't know what the words I'm looking for, but it's just it's a unique experience and something I wish more people were were into and appreciated more. Oh, well, you'd, you'd actually be surprised uh, every time I've been talking about Cradle of Chaos to like potential hires, mm -hmm. like uh, people I was looking to partner with or, or like uh, you guys. Yeah. Uh, uh, like the, the amount of enthusiasm and excitement for this kind of game is still there, like very much so. Mm -hmm. People who reach out through the website, uh, who left like you know some comments or like uh, reached out on uh, on Discord, mm -hmm. I still think there's like a really big uh, sort of enthusiasm for this type of game. Recently, there was a, a small game that came out, uh, which is RTS like uh, I can't remember the name right now, on iPhone. I mm -hmm. you know the iPhone is not the best. Uh, medium to experience mm -hmm. that kind of game because like replicating the mouse and the keyboard uh, control schemes is a bit uh, is a bit hard right 
but still, like you know, the, the game came out. It's it's a Russian guy, I think, who made it uh, just by himself. I know mm-hmm. it's incredible, but it's not bad, and it replicates some of the mechanics that uh, you and I know from uh, from those games back in the day. I know mm-hmm. on those forums, like uh, one of the comments got like five thousand likes. Wow! On a random indie game that didn't have any advertisements, mm-hmm. and it's purely like you know in a what I would consider a beta phase, even though it's, uh, it's already out on the store, etc. So for Cradle of Chaos, give me your, your sales pitch. Pretend I'd never seen a trailer and you, you're trying to get me to, uh, to buy it or to play it. Um, what would you tell people? Um, what it's about, what it is um, for our audience that, that's listening right now, besides us talking about strategy games for the past you know, five, ten minutes. <laughs> Yeah, um, so Cradle of Chaos, it's a game that's designed for, for people who would have loved uh, Warcraft 3, uh, Dota 2, uh, etc., whether they've played them or not. Mm-hmm. Essentially, it's a game that has all of the strategic elements of those games without the micro element of the units. So you, you start a game. It's always four players, one in the north, one in the east, uh, south, and west of the map. It's a squared map, and you, you, you spawn with a, a faction that you would have chosen, and you've got your buildings already, nothing to build. Your units are spawning every 30 seconds automatically, but then everything else is up to you. So the strategy is up to you. You can decide mm-hmm. to spawn more units, to upgrade uh, your, your buildings to be able to spawn more powerful heroes later on to go with a specific bonus that is faction-specific and determines the style of the game that you're going to be playing. So mm-hmm. I'll give you an example. Maybe it's a bit more concrete. Sure. Let, let's say you, you spawn and uh, you're given the elves. Okay? Mm-hmm. So the elven faction, uh, it's, uh, so, you know, they, they live for thousands of years, etc. so they really care about their life. And bottom line, uh, on the battlefield, uh, on, uh, like, um, Melee, uh, melee combat, they are not good. They, they, they want to protect their life, etc. They are not going to give 100%. So what they are good at is magic and uh, ranged attacks. So you know what your faction is good at. Mm-hmm. You know what weaknesses are. And based on who your opponents are, you can decide what to focus on. So let's take an example. And let's say your opponent on the right lane. Let's say you're the player on the south of the map. Mm-hmm. You're your, your opponent on the right lane is uh, uh, an orc. So he's got orc units. They're super buffed. They're, they're, they're really tanky. They have a lot of life. But they don't have a very good defense. And they are not good against magic in general. They, they have some specifics that can help them. But overall, they, they struggle against magic. So maybe for that player, you want to focus on improving your magic powers, the magic powers of your units, and making units that are going to be able to contain the orcs long enough so that your, your, your magicians, your wizards, are going to be able to like, you know, knock, them on, knock, knock them out one after the other. Uh, so, so typically, you're going to be like, on the sideline. You're not going to have to do like, 100 actions per minute uh, like, you, like, like you could see uh, some StarCraft two players uh, doing, especially in Korea, or this kind of thing. You're going to have to think a bit more, look at what's happening on the battlefield, most of the 
of what your units are doing, you cannot control. Some of the things you can control are the, the powers of the heroes. So mm -hmm. you can trigger the hero's abilities. So let's say you have a hero, let's say one of them uh, for the elves is called Stylian. So he can uh, create a dome around a bunch of the units and protect them against all, uh, all uh, enemy fire, uh, healing them on the way. So you can trigger that kind of, uh, of ability if you think that it's the right time and if you have enough mana, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but, but essentially, it's a game of, uh, as, you, as you kind of said, it's a game of chess, but instead mm -hmm. of one opponent, you have three. And you have to be especially reactive to what the others are choosing to do throughout the game. Uh, in that game, you make money not by mining, not by, uh, by finding crystals or anything. You make money by killing opponent units. Mm -hmm. So the money really comes from uh, killing as many units as possible. And the, the place where there are the most units is the middle. So you have a player on each uh, cardinal point of the map. And their central lanes all cross each other in the middle point. So the middle is where there are the most units. And the, the leader in the middle usually is in a good position to win the game because he's going to collect the most uh, silver, right? Mm -hmm. So the idea is, if someone is uh, leading in the middle, do I want to go and try and counter them in the middle? Do I think I don't have a shot, so I, I should uh, rather focus on something else at the moment and try and see uh, what could work against that guy later on? There's a very large number of things that you can do. And, uh, and maybe at this, at this point, I think it's good to mention that uh, this idea I had for the game uh, didn't come out of nowhere. I, I took quite a lot of inspiration from two maps of uh, Warcraft 3 originally, and now one of them also exists on Dota 2, which is called Survival Chaos. So I think I, I should mention it because it's, uh, it's, it's, it was really my starting point. Now I've changed a bunch of things, but originally mm -hmm. that's where it came from. So from what you're describing, because as you're talking, I'm like, I can see like inspirations from different games. So if, if, if you don't mind, um, it sounds like if maybe something like Command and Conquer, uh, something like League of Legends, and uh, even it kind of also reminds me of a Nintendo strategy game called Advance Wars. If they all got together and had a baby, this sounds like Cradle of Chaos. <laughs> uh, possibly, yeah, there's some aspects to it uh, for sure. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, yeah so how did you, so i know what i want to ask and i just have to say it um sorry my mind and my mouth sometimes don't always agree with each other so i guess what i'm trying to say is with for your with your love of strategy games what made you want to make your own because uh, you did mention that you felt like you could have made things better and and modernize a few things here and there, but what really actually inspired you to be like, okay, I'm actually going to sit down and do this. Yeah. So I'll, I'll tell you uh, like uh, the, the exact uh, way it happened because I feel like it's interesting and it can, mm -hmm. uh, it can over an overall picture. So I, I work in finance, right? Mm -hmm. So um, when you change jobs in my field, uh, because, uh, so, you know, you have a notice period like in any job, but because uh, it's trading, so you know, like uh, you're literally committing the firm every single day, a hundred times a day. Mm -hmm. If you've already told them that you would go, 
they don't keep you around for three months or, or two months or however long it is. They just give you a holiday of X months so that you spend at home. So uh, the last time I changed jobs was in, um, in, so in December 2018, I quit uh, my previous job. And mm -hmm. then I had a very long, what's called garden leave of six months. Essentially, that's six months when you're paid at home to do nothing. So, of course, at the beginning, it's like, you know, happy times, it's great, you travel around, uh, mm -hmm. you're happy, you're happy, etc. And then uh, and then at some point, really, like, I was back in London, I kind of thought that I would start working, but there were some, like, delays in the new job, etc. So, I, I had, like, really two months on my hands, and mm -hmm. I, I started, you know, thinking quite a bit, and uh, uh, essentially, uh, nothing, I, I, I was looking for games to play, really. And uh, mm -hmm. nothing I saw, I, I was first looking on, my, on, you know, on the App Store um, on my iPhone. And then I, I looked at Steam as well. And while there were some stuff that were kind of tempting or something, I couldn't see anything that, wa that was a modern version of what I like to play uh, 10, 15 years ago. Uh, mm -hmm. th those games I like to play the most. I really couldn't find an alternative. And that's what I, I had as a feedback from a lot of people since then. Uh, you know, you, you had some stuff. You had some tower defense games. You had mm -hmm. some, uh, of course, League of Legends and uh, and a few things like that. But you didn't have a proper strategy game, modern style. Mm -hmm. So so I thought, okay, you can always download, you know, an old game like Warcraft Three and find the custom game and wait around long enough for someone to join your game, or something mm -hmm. like that. But it's really painful. And uh, I, I was kind of hopeful when um, uh, Blizzard did a, a reforged version of Warcraft 3, mm -hmm. but you've probably heard about this. It, it, they didn't manage it too well. I, I don't think it was as bad as the, as, as, uh, the, the fallout from that, uh, that game, but yeah, it was not the best and it didn't really catch on. So essentially, mm -hmm. there wasn't something that I would feel personally like playing in that style. Mm -hmm. So that was first driver for why I, I started making that game. And uh, the other thing is that I, I really, really like fantasy as like mm -hmm. a genre, but also I have a bunch of like references in mind for for like, you know, like fantasy series that I read that I really liked and I, making a lore around that game, not only making it into a competitive and interesting game from the mechanics perspective, but also mm -hmm. from the lore and like immersive environment perspective. I was interested in that, in that aspect as well. And I, re I wrote a script and like, you know, the characters are not like random characters that happen to fit, fit in relatively well. There's, there's a whole story to it and where they come from, why they came there, uh, the rivalries between the faction, uh, the, the way I've crafted the statistics actually uh, lines up with the, the lore. So how you play the game, if you know the lore around it and you've been interested in it, and uh, later on we're even going to do a solo campaign that's going to like, you know, teach you the mechanics, etc., mm -hmm. but also help you discover the lore around the game, uh, that actually helps you play the game because it's, it's consistent. Everything mm -hmm. sort of ties up. Uh, so that was what drove me to, to start uh, developing it. And really, if I start talking a little more about technical aspects, uh, the other thing that like drove me to like give, give it a shot is mm -hmm. the sheer amount of resources you can find out there. I feel mm -hmm. like if you want to 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 like make a, a commercial jet by yourself, 
who knows there's enough resources on Google and YouTube and uh, and JSTOR and GitHub together to like help you do pretty much whatever you want. You so that are, was, I was gonna say you're not wrong. Like the the power of the internet is it's it's a wonderful thing, and it, but you said you work in finance, so yeah. when it comes to actually making the game, what program are you using to help like like how did you learn code i do know some like programming stuff but how does someone go from finance to okay i'm gonna try to make a game and now i gotta learn how to program and stuff like that yeah yeah so, so that's uh that's actually an interesting one so mm -hmm. that's one of the rare positives of the re repetitive lockdowns and uh and uh you know the pretty much uh, the stay at home year that we've had mm -hmm. Uh, over the last year, uh, I, I've coded in my in my uh, work for a long time, but you know it's uh, it's really simple stuff like Python stuff, uh, like database related things, and and like really like quite simple stuff. Mm -hmm. I had never, you know, like apart from my studies, uh, I had never like I hadn't touched uh, C in like uh, I don't know, like twelve years. Mm -hmm. And like you know, making a game that that game is, is quite complex to an, uh, in in a number of ways. It's a, it's an RTS-like game, so there's a lot of units on screen, and mm -hmm. more importantly, a lot of units on the map, right? Mm -hmm. So you have like real performance issues. So I, I started coding the game with Unity. Mm -hmm. So the IPO uh, not too long ago. It's a, it's an amazing firm. Uh, uh, they've done like really a great job on that software. It's the best piece of software I've never I've, I've ever used. So I started coding with Unity, right? So I did some basic. Uh, Basic games to to start and uh, and uh, get going, but then mm -hmm. I started like working on Cradle of Chaos almost right away, like after a month or two of uh, of learning the, the mechanics. And the problem is, in Cradle of Chaos, like on a, on a simple screen, you can have two hundred uh, units in the late game. Uh, that's super challenging. The performance mm -hmm. are massive. And mm -hmm. so you need to start dealing with it. So there's a number of ways to deal with it. Unity has a new text tag that's called dots. So that's mm -hmm. uh, the way they want to take their, their software. So this uh, dots uh, tech stack uh, does a number of things. But really, the main thing is it allows you to code your game in a multi-threaded way. So you use all of the cores in the computer or the, the iPhone. And uh, they have something called burst compiling, which essentially skips the bytecode uh, uh, workflow and uh, goes like to, to a very optimized uh, code that runs much, much quicker quicker than, uh, than your your average uh, C-sharp code. So that was like, you know, the first sort of like a hands-on experience of a very complex program where everything needs to fit together and where I decided from day one to do it the proper way. So instead of following the, the advice of like uh, various people online and on forums, etc., I didn't prototype at all. And every single system I coded from day one I coded as if it was going to end in the final game for sure, which wasn't the case. And a bunch of them are now just in the library that I've called Torix library, will never be used again, whatever. But at least I, I did the things properly so that now that all of the mechanics are included in the game, I know that the chance that I will have to change those is very small, actually. Um, so, so I did it. And you know, later on, you, you, you pick up more and more things. Working mm -hmm. with others, that have been part of the field for a very long time. There's this guy, uh, uh, a French guy who lives in the US, 
who's been in the in the game industry for 10 years and uh, before that was working in Hollywood for for a number of years mm-hmm. super like you know experience etc but has a different background from mine I have a mathematical background so I'm I'm very comfortable when it comes to the AI features machine learning and things like that I'm a lot mm-hmm. less comfortable when it comes to you know rendering and uh, doing some like uh, works to to make things uh, look a certain way on screen so for example right before the call right now i was working on what's called the shader mm-hmm. and essentially my goal was to uh, you know improve the way the wind uh, impacts the trees so your trees mm-hmm. move with the wind and uh, the waves uh, on the water and now you you can even go with your cursor and uh, you can move around the grass uh, you know just like very like simple thing, but that I think improve uh, uh, the immersive aspect of the world for the player. And, and those are, of course, I didn't know at all uh, mm-hmm. before starting on a, on a game. So that's uh, it's, yeah, it's been a very a very steep uh, learning curve. Like I spent two thousand hours <laughs> so far on the game, and a lot yeah. of it has. I'm sorry. Yeah, no worries. I was uh, gonna say really quick, like I mean, I can imagine like. Yes, it's a steep learning curve, and I'm sure that there's a new challenge in its own, like each and every day. But you, in the description for the game, it also mentions that you're hoping to get this released on mobile, desktop, and consoles. Like, is that, um, do you, are you coding with that in mind? Or, um, like, hey, there's mouse and keyboard, controller versus touchscreen. Like, does that bring its own challenges as well? Like, how are you, how are you trying to make sure everything flows? well on each different platform with each different control scheme as well yeah uh so so I, from, from day one i kind of thought that uh i would want to launch it on mobile mm-hmm. I, I had this kind of mobile first uh, strategy in mind um and uh and but but you know at, at the end of the day it's a very uh pc kind of game so mm-hmm. i, I wanted to of course uh, release it on pc and potentially on consoles at, at least nintendo switch uh, mm-hmm. but with the challenge of like finding a control scheme that would make sense for consoles because mm-hmm. for this type of game it's not obvious uh, what, what what can be done for for this to be as enjoyable as it as it is right now to to play on pc and mac on a console so if i if i can't find a way i won't release it on console but mm-hmm. if i can uh, I think it would be great to have it at least on Nintendo Switch. And so the, the way I did this, uh, and Unity has actually like made uh, some stuff happen in the last year that make, makes this easier. Mm-hmm. Essentially, I've coded everything in a very flexible way. That means that by introducing different control schemes, the, the code itself, it's one code base for every single version. So I've, I've tested oh. the version on iOS, on Android, on uh, on uh, I haven't tested on PC actually. I've tested on Mac, and uh, and all of them, you know, like it's smooth. And right away, the control gets de- uh, detected, whether it's touchscreen on a, on an iPhone or like a mouse and keyboard on a Mac. It's uh, it's seamless and it works really well. Now the thing that doesn't work as well, and the reason mm-hmm. why I've changed the strategy is uh, is performance on mobile mm-hmm. and the overall immersive experience that I was looking to give to the players. So mm-hmm. I started working with other people uh, a few months back. So there's now three of us on the project. Uh, I do the coding. There is a game designer and there is an artist uh, doing uh, concept art and uh, um, and later on 3D models. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, one thing that the game designer said right away is that if we are to make it a mobile-first game, it needs to be simplified. It needs to have mm-hmm. less action on screen because, like, simply like you know, the average iPhone has like a much smaller uh, screen, mm-hmm. and the, the mobile experience just is a different one. And right. uh, I started looking into it. I started experiencing with like tweaking the mechanics, etc. But but really, like at the end of the day, I did like some of the mobile games I played. But really, mm-hmm. I'm a PC player. Like uh, I really like some of the PC games even to this day. I really mm-hmm. like the day Warcraft 3 in particular and World of Warcraft, etc. And and I really like that atmosphere, that uh, whole thing where like you know I, I don't know if you ever watched uh, Game of Thrones. Um, the TV series? I have not actually, but I've heard great yeah. things about it up until the last season. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so, like, uh, maybe it's not the right example, but you know, like, there is uh, an introduction in Game of Thrones with a very uh, distinctive music that mm-hmm. goes with, it. and right away, you know, it was like uh, the broadcast on on Sundays in the US, and you know, you you launch the the, the episode, and right away you hear that introduction, and you are in the specific. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. uh, and and you're right away in the mood. You, you can focus on it. It's super nice to be like, you know, one hour a week or like, however like frequent it is, in a completely different thing out of your daily life and just like, you know, enjoying something that someone else has done that's super high quality, etc. And uh, I, I really like that uh, that aspect of things. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's super, it's super ambitious and borderline arrogant to say that I'm going to recreate uh, Game of Thrones. But you know, that's kind of the idea to, to give the, the players a really immersive uh, environment where mm-hmm. they can spend you know, like to play one game, two games, three games in a row. And for that time that they spend on a game, one hour, two hours, they are like completely in in it. You know, like mm-hmm. uh, enjoying it, focusing on it, etc. Now, you mentioned before that there was an issue, small issue, with having around 200 units on screen, but that was being a Unity issue. Do you have uh, an issue with mobile versus desktop with um, performance and things like that as well? Uh, To to be fair, I even had issues on performance on on desktop. Really? Uh, um, and uh, and you know that led me to do things in a in a variety of ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, in particular, so that game is very AI heavy. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, I, I spent a lot of time, and I'm spin- still spending a lot of time, uh, making some mechanics in there that I don't even think exist right now in other games, mm-hmm. or at least are not as developed as what I want to aim for uh, in the final version of this game. Uh, I don't know if you paid attention, but in some of the trailers that I put out, uh, just, uh, you know, the few videos on the YouTube channel, mm-hmm. uh, in the last one, you have a new mechanic I, I, I put in like a few months ago, where whenever you select a, a character, well, one, of the, one of the characters on screen, mm-hmm. uh, in the information that's given to you, you have uh, one that's called aggro, and uh, uh, actually, it's called targets. And it tells you what are the three top targets of the mm-hmm. unit that you've selected. And in, in a game like Warcraft 3 back in the day, or even as recently as now, you know, in League of Legends, mm-hmm. uh, the aggro is extremely simple. And the characters, so the minions in League of Legends or the, the characters in, uh, in Warcraft 3 back then, they, they simply attack the, the closest units. 
unless there is a specific thing that pulls the aggro towards them. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's fine, and uh, you know, it's, it already makes for a great game. But in that, uh, in that system, aggro is really at the center of the game. Anything that you do can be improved by thinking about how the units, your own units and the units of your opponents are going to mm -hmm. react to a specific uh, se sequence of things. So I'll give you an example that I put in the last uh, video on the channel, and I'll actually improve a lot on that uh, example in a video I'm going to post a few, a few weeks from now. Mm -hmm. um, in, in that uh, video, at some point, so I'm playing the humans in that video, and mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm making two heroes, because back then I, I only had two heroes uh, fleshed out for the humans. One is a, is a tank called Ragnar, and one is a, is a DPS, a damage uh, hero called Elaine. And so Elaine, as a, as a DPS hero, has a lot of aggro. She hits really hard, and she, had, she doesn't have a lot of, of health. So essentially, her aggro is through the roof. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, Ragnar, who is a tank, doesn't hit as strong and has a lot of life. So his own aggro is very low. However, he has abilities that make him pick up a lot of aggro, go up in aggro, be more resistant, etc., and essentially pick up the aggro from Elaine, protecting her for a, num for a number of uh, minutes uh, until you know the aggro boost runs out and she starts getting in trouble again. But essentially, if you if you pay attention to this, not only with heroes but with regular units that are going to pick up more aggro and uh, and be more aggressive towards uh, other player units but more resistant, for example, you you can actually win the game almost exclusively based on this, simply by paying attention to how your unit composition is gonna is gonna play with respect to what, uh, what your opponent's units are going to be looking to do uh, because of uh, you know, their aggro level, how they are placed uh, uh, with regards to the enemy's units. For example, uh, you know, if I'm um, an archer and I have a unit that's uh, uh, two feet from me and another one that's, uh, that, that's five feet from me, Mm -hmm. The two of them are the exact same unit. I'm going to uh, attack the closest unit because that's, that's how the aggro uh, function works in, in, in Cradle of Chaos. Uh, but for example, if the one that's further starts hitting stronger for some reason or like uh, has an ability that makes it uh, uh, have some burst damage or something like that, it's going to increase quite a bit. Uh, it's uh, the attention it gets from enemy units and it's going to die a lot quicker, actually. So you have that aspect in the game, and that's just one aspect of it, and there's actually lots of aspects that are AI-driven in, in Cradle of Chaos that are a lot more difficult to explain than to experiment with when you start playing with the game. Um, so that's something that I, I spent a lot of time on. And to get back to your original question, because I had spent so much time and uh, uh, computer power on the, on the AI, for example, mm -hmm. when the player leaves, Instead of like you know it becoming a game with three players, you have a very strong and capable AI replacing that player. So of course, if the AI wins, uh, the, the players who left uh, doesn't get the win. But apart from that, it's still a very enjoyable experience for the other players because that AI is extremely hard to beat, even though mm -hmm. it doesn't cheat in any way. It sees the exact same uh, portion of the map you do, 
it has the exact same uh, actions at its disposal and it's limited in its uh, number of actions per minute. So it's really like a regular player, but it's relatively well-crafted and so well, in fact, that it's actually hard to win against the AI. <laughs> so are, are you saying you've lost against your own AI at this point in testing? Uh, yeah, yeah. So right now in testing, I cannot beat it. Yeah, okay. So <laughs> <laughs> um... What was, oh, so with it being a four-player game, uh, obviously it's multiplayer, player versus player. Um, is it hard coding for it uh, for for the online aspect, the online portion? Because uh, I know that yeah. can be an issue sometimes, especially coding something with a lot of AI going on. Yeah, uh, it, it's super hard. Uh, mm -hmm. It's the second hardest thing in the, uh, in the game so far after the AI. Mm -hmm. uh, um, I kind of thought that the hardest would be to fit all of the units on screen, etc. But I, I found uh, this great guy uh, called Max. Uh, his studio name is Max Arts. I can't, I can't remember his last name. Uh, okay. Who made uh, a very early version uh, of um, a, a system that uses another type of animation that is non-standard. It's, it's a type of animation that was used in old games. Like, uh, I don't know if you've played Crash Bandicoot. There was a new, uh, a new sequel that was released not too long ago. Mm -hmm. And that game Crash Bandicoot back in the day because it was quite uh, uh, resources hungry, hungry for the, um, the PlayStation. Uh, they had made it into a vertex animation uh, game. And uh, that's kind of a modern version of that uh, type of animation that was used in old games. And that's how Command and Conquer very likely was uh, able to pack that many units on one screen back in the day. And, uh, and uh, so this I thought was going to be the hardest, but in the end, it's not. Uh, the networking aspect, really hard, especially because normally when people uh, code a multiplayer game, from the very first day, they start with a multiplayer code in mind. So mm -hmm. every single uh, module that they're going to code they're going to be like, okay, this can also be a solo game later on, but really it's a multiplayer game. And so every single, you know, aspect of the, I don't know, the, the system that makes you find all the other enemy units around you, the pathfinding, the, um, the resource system, the, everything needs to be thought about in a multiplayer setting, which I didn't because that was a beginner mistake, right? I had to make mm -hmm. some. I was a pure beginner. And, and so that, that's kind of uh, taking me quite a lot of time right now. I'm finally getting uh, seriously started on uh, the multiplayer aspect. I had the first version of the multiplayer uh, ready a few days ago. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to test it out with my cousin back in France uh, in a few days. Mm. And, and with my game designer as well. And uh, that, that's taking a lot more time and a lot more... Uh, craftiness than I thought it would because my mm -hmm. game essentially was a, a solo player game. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, that's probably going to take me a, a good chunk of the six months I have sort of remaining uh, uh, of development remaining. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I hope, yeah, I hope it all works out because I've dabbled in trying to make games myself, just little projects here and there. And the, the networking side, it's always a nightmare. So I hope you have better luck than I do, man. <laughs> well, the good news for you is uh, I don't have you used uh, Unity in the past, for example? Uh, it's been a while. I, I'd say it's probably been two or three years since I've tried uh, 
just okay. dabbing, dabbing uh, in it. So, so the really good thing uh, about the state of multiplayer right now mm-hmm. is that, so if you're using uh, Unreal, you, oh, have, yeah. uh, you have a multiplayer system right off the bat in the in the engine, you know, Unreal style. Mm-hmm to go for a third-party system. It's in the engine. It works well. I've tested it for you. Everything is just easier in Unreal, but mm-hmm. it's not flexible. Mm-hmm. So if you want to use third-party systems, etc. it's possible, but it's, it's kind of much harder. Unity was built with that sort of like flexibility in mind. And right now, finally, they, they acquired um, a few months ago, there was this, um, this third-party uh, open-source uh, uh, API for for multiplayer called ML API, and mm-hmm. the the guy behind that uh, that API was actually hired by Unity. I believe oh. they gave his own team. They, they hired some really really good uh, uh, multiplayer engineers and network engineers. And now that they've pulled, they've put their their whole might behind that solution. And I've tested yeah. it like very recently. They've, they've uh, released um, a sample called Bus Room, which is really nice. And, uh, and like everything just works. So it's not quite oh. production ready yet, ready yet mm-hmm. but essentially from now on, I think it's going to be easier to make multiplayer games in Unity. It was already quite good. You know, you had a few third-party solutions, including one called Mirror, mm-hmm. which was nice. But, but having a, a Unity-made in-house solution with all of the support, all of the documentation online, and uh, at the end, uh, like when, whenever they release it, a bunch of videos uh, on YouTube explaining you how to use it, some, uh, some GitHub sample projects and everything, is going to mm-hmm. make it much easier, I think. That sounds like a dream, and I will definitely be looking that up after we end our conversation because that, uh, that sounds amazing. That's that's great. Yeah, you, you, you should give it a try. <laughs> I think I will. Um, so you said you kind of have kind of like six months of this game development time that you have. Um, how close is Cradle of Chaos at the moment? Uh, would you say like if you could give it like a percentage of how much has been completed at the moment? Yeah. Uh, so the, some of the feedback I got from the videos I've, I've put online mm-hmm. is, is that you know. Well, the backend systems, like some, some of the really heavy systems, actually, the pathfinding, etc., is uh, more or less in place. Actually, in the videos, I was still using my old system, and I have now upgraded to a much more performant and much more, uh, much better uh, pathfinding system. But overall, they were all in place. But you know, at the end of the day, it's a video, so it's very, it's a very visual thing. And mm-hmm. some of the critics were like, okay, you know, for the characters, you've made an effort and you've got some of the buildings. But for example, in the last video, when you upgrade your citadel, which is the main building that every uh, faction comes with, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you go to citadel level two or whatever it was called back uh, when I released the video. But, you know, I hadn't made a, a different skin for the second level of the citadel. So people were like, it's not even clear that you've upgraded in the video because it doesn't have any uh, impact on screen, right? Mm-hmm. Was one feedback. Same thing for the barracks. You know, like I had upgraded the barracks. You cannot make your hero without upgrading the barracks to level two. But you know, because the barracks level two looks the same as the barracks level one, people didn't really. Uh, it's much less visual this way. So I've, I've spent a lot of time uh, making the skins for the buildings. 
to have several uh, levels and all of the levels properly done. Uh, I've made some like, uh, you know, animations for like uh, how it looks with like scaffoldings and everything when you're in the process of upgrading your building and things like that. And now, uh, like before we talked and like probably for the rest of the weekend, I'm going to spend time on the environment. So as I was saying, uh, you know, I introduced uh, like some much better trees and some uh, vegetation, some some grass and everything. There's some wind on the vegetation. Essentially, the the environment looks a lot more, a lot less amateurish and a lot more like a game that could actually come out. So at this point, it's more about uh, making sure that the the world is as immersive as possible, mm-hmm. and that's what I'm going to spend like probably four or five months doing with okay. a very um, with a very good concept artist based in the UK who hopefully is going to join me. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and potentially another uh, artist for UI and, uh, and VFX, visual effects. So that's on the visual aspect of things and that's probably going to take four to five months easily mm-hmm. Like some on- ongoing improvements uh, once uh, you know the early access is available on Steam, uh, mm-hmm. and we're adding content over time with some new factions and some new uh, bonuses for players to choose from at the beginning of each game. So, for example, you know, like right now, some of the bonuses I've introduced, you have one that uh, allows you to switch one of your heroes. So, if you're playing the humans and you want a, a stronger tank hero, you can choose that bonus and then the tank hero that you're going to be able to spawn is going to be another one. It's not going to be Ragnar. And it's going to have more health points and some better abilities that uh, allows your units to be less uh, afraid of your opponents. Because, for example, uh, there is a faction called Demons mm-hmm. uh, that is very powerful. They have less units, but each of their units are very powerful. I've kind of taken inspiration there from uh, the Warhammer world. And uh, so Warhammer is a tabletop game uh, that was created by a British firm called Games Workshop. I don't know if you've ever mm-hmm. heard of it. Yeah, I've heard of it. I've never played it, but I do know of it. Uh, they've made um, a very good uh, series of games. Uh, um, Cre- Creative Assembly, I think, uh, is uh, the company behind it. Uh, they have a series of games, strategy games, called Total War. And there is one called Total War Warhammer. Which is amazing. Well, like uh, they've made a m- massive effort to make it as immersive as possible. Their uh, in-house engine is super powerful, so you can zoom in very closely. You can have like thousands of units on uh, on the battlefield, and it's still like very performant, very like sort of like user-friendly and everything. So it's a great uh, it's a great series. But anyways, uh, in, in Warhammer, you had this uh, faction called Chaos, and that faction had a lot less units. Those units were very powerful. And whenever some of the bosses, like the top guys of that uh, faction, were on the battlefield, some of the, let's say, weaker factions or like uh, factions that had uh, units with uh, like some, some entry-level units would get scared and basically run away. And that's kind of what's happening in Cradle of Chaos. Whenever mm-hmm. some of the demons come on the on the battlefield, so the the commander of the demons uh, come in, you know, it's like a, a Satan-like uh, uh, figure. Uh, there's fire uh, behind him when he walks, etc. He's really big on the map, and mm-hmm. like some, some of the units can flee uh, in front of him, unless you have a powerful general hero that uh, like 
commands uh, loyalty and sort of like uh, uh, rallies the troops and uh, and is able to actually fight that aura of, of fear that the other one has. So that's just an example, you know, like of things that will be adding to the to the game. I've coded a lot of what I'm talking about right now, but we'll be at uh, we'll be adding some other ones as we go, you know. So I, I'd say, you know, overall it's like 75% on the art side, which mm-hmm. you can see from the from the videos I've put online. Uh, I haven't focused too much on the art and a lot more on the on the mechanics. And mm-hmm. then a lot will be on balancing the game. because uh, really like having the exact right balance, uh, making sure that every single player, no matter what factions they've chosen, exactly has 25% chance of winning the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's four players, so that, that you, you only have a 25% chance, uh, is, is really important. And I think is, is one of the big drivers of retention in that kind of game. If you, if you see that, like, you know, no matter what faction you try, you always kind of see an angle where it's an interesting one and where it can make you win. Mm-hmm. You don't have one that's obviously weaker. You, you have some that, like, are easier to play. Definitely, if you, t- you play the demons, your, your units are super powerful, they're super tanky, they hit really hard, etc. Uh, it's easier to play because it's, it's a very basic sort of gameplay. When you know uh, winning with the elves uh, requires a, a finer understanding of the game because you need to understand how your magic is going to impact your, your enemies and like what kind of, uh, of units are going to be necessary uh, because they don't have a lot of life, so they die pretty easily, etc. So it's more complex, but it doesn't mean that you have less chances of winning. If you know what you're doing, you exactly have 25% chance of winning if I manage to balance the game properly. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, that all makes sense. And it sounds like uh, you have uh, a big job on your hands uh, coming up ahead, especially when it comes to the balancing. Um, Well, Nicholas, I don't really have any more questions unless you have more to talk about unless there's something i didn't cover that you felt like needed to be covered when it comes to cradle of chaos but uh that really covers uh, everything i really had yeah i mean it's pretty it's been a pretty exhaustive uh, uh sequence <laughs> I, I, I would say like uh, i'm gonna try to to put it on uh, in early access uh, uh relatively soon on uh, on steam to have okay. some feedback etc at this point it's gonna be like you know a totally free game because i want some uh, some, some beta testers, really. And, uh, sure. and uh, yeah, that's going to be like a, an amazing experience, I think, to have like a, a game we've worked on for like uh, as hard and for so long. Uh, finally, mm-hmm. play, you know, like and seeing, because uh, you, you can gather a lot of data, you know, like uh, you have those analytics uh, plugins that you can find really easily and that gives you a lot of data on like how players are doing things and maybe people are going to enjoy doing things that I'm not really thinking about right now or that I, mm-hmm. I don't see as as exciting uh, as it can be for the people or maybe you know like one of the factions is going to turn out to be a lot more a lot stronger than i think because they're going to find mechanics uh, you know when you release the game i think like uh, the developers are the best at the game for like two weeks and mm-hmm. then they're, they're being taken over and uh, and there's just some like uh, super crafty people who come up with metas that you've never thought of so i think that's going to be like really the big uh, the, the next big step uh, to have a, a beta version of the game on Steam and, and see how uh, how people go and get along with it and uh, and uh, play with it. So when are you expecting early access, hopefully, to come out? And then do you have a, a time frame for when the game itself will be uh, its final release? Yeah, so, so the timeline is uh, for, for an early access, uh, you know, 
which is more of a beta, really, uh, that would be mm -hmm. around September, early September, late August, early September, I think. And then for the release of the game for PC and Mac, right? So mm -hmm. on, on the on the Steam platform and on the Epic Game Store, that would be uh, that would be end of the year, possibly January 2022. Okay, awesome. I I look forward to getting my hands on it uh, later on this year. Um, and of course, if anyone else out there, out there listening, feel free to check out the links in the description. Because I will make sure to have. Uh, Nicholas's videos that he has posted about Cradle of Chaos, so that way anybody can check it out. Um, Nicholas, thank you for coming on. Thanks for reaching out. Uh, it's been a real pleasure, and, and uh, I've had a lot of fun talking to you today. Yeah, same thing. Uh, nice to meet you, man. Have a good no problem. Thank you, you too. And as always. <laughs>